Emily and I found ourselves in an awkward position this week. One of my family members has a birthday coming up. And as ever, I am completely useless at knowing what to get them for a present. So finally conceding to this fact, we contacted this person to see what they wanted. We hoped they might make a suggestion or at least point us in the right direction. Well, sure enough, that is what happened. They sent us a link to an item of clothing that they really liked. Now, I don't know how this works with you, but Emily and I kind of have guideline amounts as to what we will spend on different members of our family. We do this to make sure that we treat both sides of the family equally. And because we have a large family, we can't afford to bankrupt ourselves. Anybody else do this? <laughs> I'm sure there must be others here tonight who have some idea in mind of what they would spend on a present. Well, anyway, this suggested item is a lot more than we would normally spend, and now we're in difficulty. <laughs> we can hardly go back to them and ask for another suggestion, can we? Because that's going to be awkward. We can hardly ignore what's been asked for, as it was us that failed to be imaginative in the first place. No, we are now in a bit of a spot. We either buy the requested present and set a dangerous financial precedent. I'm joking, but you know what I mean. Or we come across as complete cheapskates and just buy them flowers and chocolates. <laughs> now, I know this is a first world problem, but it's a little tricky nonetheless. I wonder what is the most expensive thing that you have ever given to someone. Can you remember it? I'm sure you can, because we don't forget things like that, do we? I wonder why you decided to go through with it and buy it. There must have been a reason. Maybe you were saying thank you for a particular act. Maybe you were trying to express deep affection to someone important in your life. Just have a think for a moment. What would be that gift for you? Just so you know, Emily and I did decide to get the requested gift. I wouldn't want you thinking that we're money grabbers. <laughs> Mary's gift in our passage today is without doubt an expensive one. We find out in verse 5 that the pure nard perfume that she poured onto Jesus was the equivalent of a year's wages. Back then, that was 300 denarii. In the UK today, the average yearly salary is about £28,000. That is expensive in anyone's book. Very expensive. But more than the gift itself being expensive, it is also extravagantly given. Let's try and put ourselves in that room for a moment. First we find Martha, Mary's sister. I wonder what she thought of this gift. Martha was in the back slaving over dinner. She is preparing and cooking and serving the food for Jesus and Lazarus and their many guests. I expect she was quite flustered at this moment. 
and I'm sure Martha would rather have appreciated some help from Mary. But what does she see? Mary pouring perfume on Jesus' feet and wiping it with her hair. What must Martha have thought to that? This was a, a little attention-seeking, was it not? Let's just stay with that thought of Mary letting her hair down for a moment. Inside the room, alongside Martha and Lazarus and Jesus, were a whole load of men, at least 12 disciples being present, probably more. Now, in that culture, only a woman's husband got to see her hair fully unfurled. We need to understand that what Mary does here is roughly equivalent to a woman today hiking up her skirt to the top of her thighs for a whole room of men to see her legs. Mary doesn't just give an expensive gift of perfume to Jesus. She does it in a highly provocative way. Many of the men in the room would never have seen this before. It could have been interpreted as her flaunting her sexuality, a rather improper, indecent act. Let's think a little bit more about those disciples. We know that at some point or other, those disciples had given up their day jobs and given up their families to follow Jesus all over Israel. They've been living this rather nomadic lifestyle for about three years now. Their existence rather hand to mouth. And we know uh, from other passages that there was a common purse held and the disciples relied on the generosity of others to contribute towards it so that they could spend all their time with Jesus. So here are these men used to living a very meagre lifestyle suddenly seeing the equivalent of £28,000 being poured away right in front of their eyes. And we can only imagine what their immediate thoughts must have been. What a waste! This could have kept them going for months. If it was going spare, they could have sent a bit of it home to their families because they'd given precious little else to them over the last three years. They would have been pretty indignant, I'm sure. And then there comes the question of the poor. This meal was taking place in Bethany, the village just outside Jerusalem where Mary, Martha and Lazarus lived. Now the word Bethany in Hebrew literally means house of the poor. And some historians have produced evidence that it was a place that poor and needy and sick people would go to be cared for. It was a, it was a kind of hospice on the outskirts of the city. Bethany was definitely not an affluent place. Goodness knows where Mary got this perfume from. We have no idea. But there would have been many watching on at this scene, in this room probably, who would have questioned deeply Mary's use of such wealth in this way. Surely it would have been better spent on those who were suffering. And in his telling of this event, John tells us that it was Judas who audibly aired this view. But then he's quick to alert us to Judas's real motives. He was the one who held the common purse of the disciples and he was stealing out of it for himself. A rather eye-opening statement when we think of his betrayal of Jesus for 30 silver coins in a few days' time. 
But I think I've said enough to make the point. In this passage, Mary gives Jesus an incredibly expensive gift. She pours out a year's wages in a matter of moments. But it was also extravagantly given. There would have been accusations of attention-seeking and immodesty and wastefulness. She would have been criticised for being profligate and provocative. And she must have known that those criticisms were going to come before she went through with breaking the jar open. Mary took a great risk. She went ahead with this anyway. It all begs the question then, why? Why would Mary behave in this way? In the introduction, I invited us to think about some of the expensive presents that we have given and why we gave them. I guess most of us would have been saying thank you to someone, showing appreciation of them, or we'd have been trying to demonstrate love, affection. We give expensive gifts to those who are most important in our lives. And I'm sure that both these reasons were true for Mary. I am sure that she was saying thank you to Jesus. Remember that we're told in verses 1 and 2 that this meal was being given in honour of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was Mary's brother. She deeply loved him. And when Lazarus lay dead, Mary wept with such emotion, it even brought tears to the eyes of Jesus himself. We can only imagine how Mary must have felt when her brother was restored back to her again. She'd have been completely overcome. Mary gives Jesus this gift because she is so thankful for what Jesus has done for her family. There was more to it than just that. There must have been. I mean, she just poured away £28,000. I mean, come on. We know from Luke's Gospel that Jesus had stayed with Mary and Martha in Bethany before. Do you remember the story? Martha had busied herself with the housework to make sure that everything was right for the guests. And Mary had sat at Jesus' feet, drinking in every word that he said. Do you remember that story? Now, judging by the emotion that Jesus felt and the tears in his eyes when Lazarus died, we get the sense that he may well have stayed with this small family in this way a number of times before. And each time Mary would have taken in more. Mary must have spent hours questioning who this Jesus was. And when she saw her own brother raised with her own eyes, she'd come to the conclusion that he was someone very special indeed. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus had just said. Mary had grown to love Jesus. She was honoured to know him. And this gift was one expressing great affection to someone she believed to be very important. Of course, what is more important than us trying to guess what was in Mary's mind is to listen to the response of Jesus himself. 
As Mary pours the perfume and the crowd stare and Judas audibly complains, Jesus speaks up and defends her. Leave her alone, he says in verse 7. Jesus defends Mary's action. Somehow he sees deep into her heart. He knows her integrity. He understands what she tried to do. And he's grateful for it. And then in what Jesus says next, he seems to give two reasons to defend her action. One of the reasons is based on an upcoming event. And the other is based on who he is. Let's think first about the event. Jesus says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Once again, we get the shuddering realisation that the cross looms large on the horizon and Jesus knows it. He's not running away from it. He is walking calmly towards it. Jesus knows this is the reason why he has come. In the final verses of our reading, we heard again of the plotting of the Jewish leaders, their plans for violence. They're so determined to maintain their own positions of power, they're even prepared to murder Lazarus as well now. For many people are meeting him and putting their trust in Jesus. Jesus knows where all these plots and plans are headed. He knows an agonizing death is just days away. And I think Mary too must have read that situation. Somehow, deep down, she understood that this would be the last chance to show her devotion. To make a sacrifice on her part to say thank you for the great sacrifice that Jesus would go on to make for her. She must have spent time thinking on what she could do to show Jesus what she really thought of him before it was too late and she'd stumbled upon this extravagant and fragrant act. However much Mary really understood Jesus interprets a deep level of meaning to her action, a level deeper than she could ever have known herself. She has anointed him, ready for his burial. Jesus knows that from this point on, the cross is going to control every aspect of the disciples' lives. It will totally change the way they act and behave. And Mary is the first evidence of that. Jesus defends Mary's action because although it was expensive and extravagant, it did not cost even a fraction of what it would cost for the perfect Son of God to lay down his life on the cross on behalf of the world. That one time, extraordinary event of the cross somehow made this gift reasonable. The second defence that Jesus makes of Mary's act is linked to who he is, his true identity. He goes on to say, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Uh, let's just stop there for a moment and make one thing absolutely clear. 
you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me, is perhaps one of the most arrogant things a human being could ever say, unless that human being was truly special. To make a gift to yourself more important than the suffering poor around you is the height of greed and self-delusion unless you are incredibly unique. And ultimately it's clear that the only human being that could ever have said those words without being a raving egomaniac is Jesus. And it's easy for us to miss, but in those words, Jesus is actually quoting the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 15.11, we read these words. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards them, to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and the needy in your land. That is the word of God. That is the law. Throughout scripture, God makes it plain again and again that he is on the side of the poor and he expects his people to be as well. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. No believer can sit back twiddling their thumbs while the poor are dying around them. They have to go and help as best that they can. This is God's law. And can you see? The only person that could ever cut across God's law like this is God himself. The only one who could ever set it aside, even just for a moment, is the one who made the law in the first place. When Jesus says, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me, he would have got everyone's attention. There would have been a sharp intake of breath because there would have been no doubt about what he was saying. Jesus himself is God. The God of the Old Testament on earth in human form. Now, of course, what his hearers would not have known is that through what is about to happen in the next few days, uh, Jesus is going to pave the way for a new world where there will be justice and there will be no more poverty through the cross and the resurrection, through the ascension and the second coming, Jesus will bring heaven to earth and there will never be a beggar or a homeless person to be seen ever again. But what I am laboring to say is this. Mary's act was expensive. It was extravagant. In fact, in any other situation, it would have been entirely inappropriate. Jesus is the only person in the history of the world for whom this gift is acceptable. And through his words here, he is making a powerful point. The perfect son of God is about to lay down his life to save sinners and make a new world. And from this day forward, that sacrificial act will deserve everything from us. Our very best. 
I think there's only one way that we can finish reflecting on this passage. And that's by asking questions of ourselves. Seeing who Jesus is, the Holy Son of God. Knowing what he gave for us, his very life on the cross. How are we going to respond? How are we going to express our gratitude and devotion? What costly gift will we give? Maybe we could spend some of our life working to help the poor, volunteer for the food bank, donate clothes to a homeless shelter, give a financial gift, not to look good or to be seen as charitable, but as an act of devotion to the Lord. Maybe our response is to choose to worship God over the opportunity to earn more money for ourselves. Extra overtime, Sunday work shifts. I know for some of us there is no option, but when there is a choice between church or money, uh, money or fellowship, career or prayer, let's choose God rather than increasing our bank balance. Maybe our costly act is to proudly speak of our faith and our love for Jesus, even in rooms where we know people are going to be critical of us. Maybe we can make a choice like Mary and declare our love for God before cynical colleagues and family members in the hope that they might be inspired to find out more for themselves. I don't know what the right response to this passage will be for you. It will be individual to us all, just as Mary's extravagant act came right from her heart. But what I do know is that Jesus deserves our whole life, our very best. Will we give him the expensive gift of our hearts tonight?